Welcome back to Rubrics, a St. Timothy's podcast. Today is August 2nd, a day after the feast of Joseph of Arimathea, who is going to be our topic today. He is uh, particularly um, impactful for our parish here because of our society, but he's a, he's an interesting character in the scriptures, and he kind of opens the door to talk about life and death and burial and you know, the mission of Christians and um, how we interact with those in need. And so it's, you know, a, a good time to, to talk about him, especially with our society hitting some um, big benchmarks recently. Mm-hmm. And so we'll, we'll dive into him. It is um, the beginning of August, and we're kind of hitting that, that slog of summer. I'm still on baby watch. Um, but we just had a burial recently of 37 infants for the society. And so we've, we've, we've got a lot going on, even though it's kind of the middle of the dog days of summer. To get us started, let me open Hang on, with, do you know that's a prayer book um, calendar, dog days of summer? Is it really? Yeah, it was in, I did a, I did, no way. I did a um, blog post years ago. Maybe, maybe you can find it on ritualnotes.com. Uh, where in some of the old um, the old prayer books in the in the calendar there was a thing that said dog days, and yeah, there it is. Here there it go. is. Yeah, from twenty. You can see it in there um, from the fifteen wow. fifty two and fifteen fifty nine editions. Um, dog days. D a i e s. Yeah, yeah. I, wrote, I did not know. That. I wrote about it, but I clearly don't remember. Uh, what it was about. The days end on September fifth. Yeah. It was All about. Right, so it was about the uh, the constellation. We, yeah. got, we got a month ago. Yeah, interesting. So if you go to ritualnotes.com or or just Google ritual notes dog days, it, it came up for me on Google um, for an old blog of yours from 2019. I did not know that. Yeah. I know it from baseball and sports and you know saints growing up. But um, Christianity seeps into our culture more prayer and more. Prayer book is everywhere. Yeah, the prayer book is everywhere. Let us pray. Most merciful God, whose servant Joseph of Arimathea, with reverence and godly fear, did prepare the body of our Lord and Savior for burial, and did lay it in his own tomb. Grant, we beseech thee, to us thy faithful people, grace and courage to love and serve Jesus with sincere devotion all the days of our life. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Let me comment um, uh, on on that website, several people came mm-hmm. up to me asking about the resource we mentioned in passing when Abby was here, the yeah. Katena app or katenabible.com, C-A-T-E-N-A, which means chain, mm-hmm. Katena Orea, the golden chain, what Thomas Aquinas did. So um, I was pleased, number one, people were listening yeah. and, and wanted that resource. The website I just mentioned is ritualnotes.com. That's that's sort of a, um, a, a ministry of mine that I've had for a while of where I just put articles or reflections. And, right. and like most blogs and websites, there are seasons of great activity and seasons mm-hmm. of zero activity. I am going to redo it. Um, primarily, I was my 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 um, motivation was to come up with, you know, how we do the the Saint Tim's Ordo every day, right. which I hope people over time will will come to, to come to appreciate. I think it's yeah. helpful, um, but I'm going to do something similar more for keeping the liturgical days, mm-hmm. all the different options and things like that as a resource, mainly for um, I know Abby, as she said, wants to. Um, go deeper into the daily office in college. Yeah. I want to do that as a as a resource for her, right. where she can do that. So, um, but that's a website that that has just reflections and things, oftentimes of a liturgical nature. So, if yeah. that interests you at all, RitualNotes.com. And you bring up a good point. Um, and for Joseph Arimathea, it's actually quite fitting. Uh, if you Google when his feast day is, depending on what result you get, you're going to have probably three different days. The Romans, I think, had March 17th originally. Um, the the Eastern Church has uh, July 31st, maybe. July 31st is then, one. August 1 August is the current is one. is kind of the current one. So um, sometimes you get, you got to make decisions about, you know, how you're going to implement some of these contradictory feast days. Um, 
And, you know, at times it, it's easy on these major feasts, on the minor ones, it sometimes gets complicated, but we try to give the ordo and devotions to try to make it easy for people. What, what's my local church doing? That's kind of the yeah. best rule of thumb because then you are somehow uniting yourself with, with how your your actual parish is, is saying the daily office and, and going through the liturgical calendar. Well, these are pro-level discussions we're having now about yeah. the yeah. movability of Joseph of Arimathea and the That's liturgical right. history of it. The point is, is that there is, there is a rhythm of prayer that, like all rhythms, is tweaked. Mm-hmm. Um, you know... Saints are added to the calendar, or mm-hmm. maybe feasts are made, and that means people get bumped here and there, or or it's it's complicated, frankly. Um, you know, Lent that season moves around depending on the date of Correct. Easter. So there's some feasts that we don't get to celebrate, maybe year, this year, yeah. but we do the following year. The, the point of all of that is there is a a, a purpose and a thought out um, philosophy mm-hmm. of the rhythm of prayer and how this works. And, um, you know, those who are tasked with sorting this out take it very seriously. Mm-hmm. And, and so our job is to help synthesize all of that and, yeah. and smooth out those contradictions so that all of us in common prayer mm-hmm. can, can pattern our lives after, um, after the rhythm of the, of the church's year, which is, so, which is really very helpful. And if we can allow ourselves to be formed by it, the you know it becomes more natural. Um, you know we were planning out the the evening masses for the remainder of the year, and we try to have one every month. We would do more than one, but but we you know there's expense with the choir. There's mm-hmm. availability of servers. I mean there's I mean we're not a monastery. We have people who right. volunteer and they have jobs, and I mean we're grateful for for the 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 time and commitment just doing it once a month. But, I mean, you can look even at those evening Masses and see how each month is shaped. You know, August, mm-hmm. we have the Assumption, Holy Cross in September, St. Luke in October. And St. Luke is a, is a big day for us. This is how the, the calendar starts to make sense. Like, St. Luke is a big day, but, but St. Luke is one of many, um, you know, there's other feasts of the evangelists right. that we don't keep. The reason why we keep St. Luke... With greater solemnity here is because we're one mile from one hospital and one mile from the other hospital, and we have a lot of medical professionals in our parish, and we live in a great medical community, and St. Luke was the physician, so it makes a lot of sense to do that. Same thing with St. Michael and all angels. You know, it may have started with me personally having a devotion to St. Michael because my first parish was St. Michael, Mm. so there's that, but we have a ministry for law enforcement. He's the patron saint for that, right? I so, confirmed at St. Michael's. Yeah. Did you really? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, so that's how that works. And it, it sort of shapes, um, you know, like in the secular calendar, you look forward to certain things every month, you know? Right. Pumpkin spice latte yeah. at certain <laughs> times or summer vacation. Football in the Football, fall. absolutely. Same thing liturgically. And you can, um, you know, there's all kinds. And you're doing a great job of introducing domestic traditions yeah. to go along with those things. Hot cross buns or, right. or whatever it may be for the feast. Um, you know, really, it, on it, it really yeah. helps reinforce and support and make a rhythm of prayer more natural yeah. um, because it, that's what it's supposed to be, frankly. Yeah. At any rate, that's a long, and, you know, and if you meandering, want, whatever. You can take it a step further, as Chloe and I did, and our child's expected due date was August 6th with his transfiguration. So I said, we got three names from the biblical story, Peter, James, and John. Let's, let's pick one of them. And so that's that's you know well, where we came up with, and that's with James. Frankly, how it used to be done. Yes, and I and I recommended saying let's wait until he's born and just whatever Saints Day. And, I don't do uh, that. You're, you're putting and, really, and my, yeah. my my poor wife looked at some of the yeah. minor saints around August six and said I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Understandably, um, but you know that that's an, an kind of another interesting way to live into it. <clears throat> another uh, interesting point. I think I've brought this up before. My Parents were Baptists, did not follow the liturgical calendar. I was born one day away from the Feast of St. Luke, unbeknownst to them. And my brother was born on the Feast of St. Matthew, and his name is Matthew, unbeknownst to them. Yeah. So even when you aren't sure you're um, impacted by it, it still follows you around. Um, 
I'm looking up two things in my mind. In my old age, I can't think of two things at the same time. But what I was going to say is what I meant, this is how it used to be done. We've all heard in the South, especially, what is um, what is one's Christian name. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that um, whatever your name, your pagan name may have been or right. or or your your nickname is that when you were baptized, you took on the name of a saint. Yeah. And it would be frequently is that you were named um, whatever feast day you fell on. Mm-hmm. So to take Chloe's point, um, my patron saint on my birthday is Saint uh, Hermanegild, or Hermengild. There you go. This doesn't really flow off the tongue. <laughs> I can't do it. Now, I love... You made fun of a little I have, bit. I have a devotion to Hermengild because he was mm-hmm. martyred for... Um, refusing to take communion from a heretical bishop uh you know and I, it's just a great great story but um but yeah um so we've wandered everywhere about the rhythm of the of the church's have, year and saints days and hope we didn't bore you all no. but, but there's a lot of there's a there's a there's a lot of um a lot of spiritual fruit in mm-hmm. paying attention to it and i would i would just wrap this conversation up by saying, like I preached on prayer on Sunday, and the image, which is very helpful to me of prayer is, um, and it was it was Metropolitan Anthony Bloom, whom I quoted, about prayer being like the visit of the Magi mm-hmm. making their way to Bethlehem, and the majority of that journey was probably boring. Yeah. Um, I mean, think about riding on whatever their camels, whatever they were riding on, you know the dusty trail, the long mm-hmm. days, the uncertainty of, of and where not sure going to camp. what they would find. Not sure what they're doing. I mean, there was something that important. They knew it was worth doing, yeah. but they weren't exactly sure the specific details of what of what they would find. And that is, I mean, the life of prayer is a grind. Yeah. It is the grind. But um, you know, you find some some help, and by enriching that rhythm of prayer, by by immersing yourself and and. And allowing your own life to to um, be in sync with the life of the church, mm-hmm. and it helps me. I mean, I was doing the calendar for next week, and I was like, I noticed that next week are some really interesting saints that we celebrate, and only one day of all of next week is a feria. Uh, oh, like wow. today, a feria is a day that has no feast; it's right. just a normal a normal day. But you know, you've got Saint Dominic, Saint Claire of Assisi, mm, yeah. um, you know um, Edith Stein, who became Teresa Benedicta of the of the Cross, a martyr. Saint Lawrence, deacon. You oh, know, yeah. We told yeah. that story a lot about how he was. Um, I did. On I the, on introduced the, the youth to him last yeah. week um, at youth group, and they they got a, a real kick out of his quote on the gridiron. That's you know, great. He flipped me over. I'm done. On I'm the done. Side. Um, so yeah, there we are. So let's let's dive into who was Joseph of Arimathea. We actually don't get much descriptions of him in the Bible, but I believe all four Gospels mention him. Um, I have Luke pulled up right now, and he's in you know a, a couple verses. And so this is from Luke 23, beginning with verse 50. Now there was a good and righteous man named, jo- named Joseph, who, though a member of the council, had not agreed to their plan and action. He came from the Jewish town of Arimathea, and he was waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in a linen cloth, and laid it in a rock-hewn tomb where no one had ever been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. That's kind of all we get. So Joseph shows up, and, and we, we do get some interesting descriptions of him. The member of the council that they are talking about, the Sanhedrin was the one, um, the governing body um, of chief priests and high priests, I believe, in Jerusalem. They would meet in the temple. Um, they were the ones that, you know, part of one, of one of a couple different groups who put Jesus to death, crucify him. And we're told that Joseph was a member of that group, but um, scared to, to speak out, you know, didn't go along with it, I guess followed the course of Jesus, presumably, you know, saw the crucifixion maybe from a distance. And then once he actually dies, he decides now it's time to step forward and kind of out myself as a Christian. And he gives up his own tomb, uh, meaning he probably had some money. It was a tomb that no one had laid before. So this was not probably some tomb he inherited from his grandfather and all of his ancestors were there. It was a brand new tomb. Which meant he had money, yeah. Right. So yeah. he was the one who actually most likely bought this tomb for himself and, and maybe his family. Um, 
and he gives it to Jesus. And that's that's kind of all the descriptions we get. We get this interesting phrase that he was waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God. So, you know, St. Luke and the other gospels say something similar. He somehow has an understanding of what Jesus has come to do. I don't think he quite knows everything, but he understands that burial is important and he gives his tomb for Jesus. And that's kind of all the descriptions we get. There's all sorts of traditions, what happens after. Takes the grail to England, Glastonbury, yeah, the, the cross, the thorn, all that The problem stuff. with those, I think, is a lot of them were written in the 13th century, and they're questionable, but um, interesting nonetheless. What I think is interesting is that St. Um, Joseph of Arimathea ends up fulfilling Isaiah's words. I don't think he, he understood that he was doing this, but Isaiah 53, verse 9 they made his grave with the wicked and his tomb with the rich. And although he had done no violence and there was no deceit found in his mouth, this prophecy of Isaiah, no deceit found in his mouth, we know this well, but his tomb was with the rich. And Joseph is that, that rich man um, who, who ends up, you know, helping fulfill the words of Isaiah. My question when I read this story always is why was the crucifixion the turning point for him? He, he had seen Jesus be put to death. And in my mind, I'm thinking, why wasn't it the Sanhedrin putting him to death? Why didn't that compel him to say, too far? He actually saw the death go through, and then that was what finally said, now I'm ready to kind of be out about it. Um, he didn't know the resurrection was coming, most likely. And so why do you think... The crucifixion was finally that, you know, prod for him to say, "All right, I'm done hiding. I'm done being fearful. I'm gonna, I'm gonna out myself and and do what needs to be done." Well, I mean, we're diving into human psychology mm-hmm. and we're be speculation. So let's um, let's d- mention what you mentioned in your homily for the feast of Saint Ignatius and sort of put yeah. ourselves into the story. Yeah. And I think that. One of the things I might think of if I were a secret disciple, which means he was, um, he wanted to be faithful, yeah. but he wasn't willing to he risk. Mm-hmm. And there's an interest, very, very interesting biblical study, in, and though you're quoting from Luke's gospel, there's a very interesting study in John's gospel. If you look at the characters, now John's gospel is written quite differently from Matthew, Mark, and right. Luke, which we call the synoptic gospels. They have kind of a, you know, a, um, a synthesis of them yeah. being together. Is when I think of Arimathea, Joseph of Arimathea, I think also of Nicodemus. Yep. Who yeah, also they, they get matched a lot. Also a rich, a rich uh, individual Jew, Pharisee, member Leader, of the council. Yeah but also came to Jesus by night. In John's gospel, John right there. John yeah. very much likes to highlight the fidelity of the character based on the time of day and where they are. If you look at this, I think Raymond Brown, a, a late Roman Catholic biblical scholar and others really highlight, if you go through, that's how John likes to, to, to tip his hat in yeah. a way of... He really this, does play on the light and dark. Absolutely. Images. Nicodemus always came to Jesus by night. So what, whereas we might look at Nicodemus as being a positive figure, some biblical scholars would say Nicodemus was cowardly. Mm-hmm. Um, Thomas came at night. And right. Thomas would go back and forth of having moments of great uh, courage, mm-hmm. or at least verbal courage, yeah. and then at the same time being being afraid. So the idea that... that um, Joseph would come and came at night. I mean, understandably, he was he was nervous about his reputation. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, to to be a member of the council, Sanhedrin, that was immense power and prestige. Yeah, they yeah. met in the temple, I think, every day except for holy days and and, and on the Sabbath. But it was a aristocratic, you know, elite. You had a lot of power, yeah. and you were set up for the rest of your life. What I like about Arimathea, Joseph, in this in this story is, I think he represents all of us, is that inwardly, we, we know this is true. Mm-hmm. Outwardly, there's something keeping us from going all in and being public about it or, or committing all the way. Yeah. And I think the thing is, basically everyone's in the same spot. We all have that same characteristic of the other rich young ruler mm-hmm. who was not named. There's always that one thing that is keeping us from being completely in. Yeah. And and that's why we rely on, on the grace of Jesus. But at the death, after seeing after seeing I mean, 
after seeing the crucifixion, after seeing our Lord's response to those who beat him, spit on him, derided him, and to see his, his prayer asking for their forgiveness from the cross, maybe after experiencing the earthquake, seeing yeah. the darkness come, the all of this, uh, that he realized that all, like the centurion, truly this is the Son, the son of God, yeah. yep. came to him. And the other thing, though, is that in death, there is a permanence that you, I mean, there is a, you embrace your own mortality, but also you, you, you are aware of um, the things that you left undone. Mm-hmm. And maybe in that moment where he, he had, like, and you see this in, 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 in the parables, but also in, the, in Jesus talking outright about, you can't put your hand on the plow and look back. Mm-hmm. You can't say, let me go bury my parents, or let me go do this, or let me pay for college, or let me, whatever the thing is. You either do it or you don't. Mm-hmm. And, and Joseph was, I, I'm, I'm in, but, but, but let some things develop first. Well, now there's no more opportunity to be in, though at least as he understood it. Right. And so now he's committed, and now he's going to not atone for what he left undone, but he, he was going to do what he, he could, and mm-hmm. maybe didn't care anymore, right? Um, because he now, he now in that moment realized his own complicity, yeah, in this and his own his own role in the death of Jesus, and 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 maybe that's the 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 via salutis, the way of salvation for all of us, yeah. is that at some point we see our own role, and it surprises us and catches us off guard, but we realize, um, yeah, I. I would have been with them, mm-hmm. and through my own disobedience and my own pride and rebellion and sin, I am one of them. And he also died for me, and he also prayed for my forgiveness while I was doing this very thing to him, and that changed mm-hmm. Joseph. And you know, risked being seen, or or and we, I don't know. We don't know if people were watching when Jesus came down. If it was a safe thing to do, I, I don't know. Again, we're speculating, but we we know. That he gave up his tomb. And That's a public to, thing. And he goes to Pilate. He goes to, to Pilate, for the body, gets his so. body. Um, he was not hiding yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, and you bring up Nicodemus and, and um, John, you know, pushes them right right next to each other to kind of make that point that these figures have something in common. You know, 38, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, verse 39, Nicodemus, who had come at first to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, weighing about 100 pounds. So both bringing what they can, mm-hmm. Nicodemus, these expensive spices, Joseph, his, his wealthy tomb to give to Jesus. I think there, also something is, there is also something poetic about, you know, Joseph of Arimathea probably deep down was thinking, what am I so scared of? It's what just happened to him, this, this person I want to follow. Deep down, you know, we all, we all fear death. And he's probably thinking, I can't go along with the Sanhedrin. Maybe they'll put me to death also. Yeah. Then he watches this man get put to death. And he thinks, what am I so scared of? Um, it just happened to him. And look how, look how he received it. And then, you know, I'm sure at one point, there he is standing in his own tomb that was supposed to be for him. And he's laying this person who now he wants to dedicate his life to following. Well, Nicodemus uh, finds his way there too. Yeah, think think of the of the powerful imagery of that. Is that Jesus went to Nicod- um, Joseph's tomb? Yeah. In the same way, and we see this in in the letter to the Hebrews that you know, Jesus went to destroy death, yeah. which is what we're all afraid mm-hmm. of. Jesus has gone to your tomb yep, and to my tomb. Good. He's gone to the place where we, metaphorically, spiritually, he's gone to the place of death and has returned mm-hmm. and, and, has, and has taken that fear from us. And I think that is a really powerful image of meditation. It's so beautiful um, and, and helpful to understand why this story, like this is, this is a, um, I mean, this is not a central detail in the life of Jesus no. Christ. But yet he's in the Gospels, and he's you know he's he 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 pray, plays prominently and in the story, and it's because of all of these human psychological theological images mm-hmm. and themes that are brought up here, um, especially about death and burial and what all that means. 
And I'm just confirming. Um, I know he's in Mark, I Luke, think and John. I'm assuming four. he's in Matthew too. The fact that he is, yeah, Joseph, um, Matthew 27. The fact that he's in all four gospels. There is not an awful lot. An awful lot yeah. that's in all four gospels. So um, clearly, he has this this impact. To be clear, um, not an awful lot of seemingly minor details that correct. are in all four yeah. gospels. Yes, right. Um, especially because John is not as an example. I mean, the birth with, of Jesus Christ is not in all four gospels. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so it's not that, you know, it's not important. The Last but, Supper is not in all right. four Gospels. But John, you know, many times is doing kind of his own his own thing, and, and they're all telling the story from different perspectives. But the fact that he's in all four, that is that is significant. Um, I think you bring up a great point that he metaphorically has gone to each and every one of one of our tombs. Um, basically saying that thing you fear most, the, the yes, but, um, yeah, I want to follow you, but we, we hold back some. He's gone to that and said... There's, there's no more buts. There's no more what ifs. There's no more first let me, you know, do this or that. He has, um, you know, <clears throat> died for us. And in that moment, we, like Joseph, realize there's nothing else to hold on to. Hmm. Um, I'm, now, I'm now all in. So we bring up, you know, Joseph Arimathea and his central act is, is giving dignity to Jesus Christ by giving him a proper burial. And if you read even way back in the Old Testament— Burial is an important, an important theme, and the morning rituals surrounded by it, um, we see time and time again, like improper burials. You know, it's considered shameful to have an improper burial because there was a reverence for the body, and part of that I think is this insistence that to be a human is to have a body and a soul united together, um, which is why you know in in burials and funerals. I get it, but when people look at the body and say that's not really them, it's not. It's, it's missing something. It is really them. I, I understand what they mean. They mean it's lost the animating soul that you know makes us interact with the world. I get that, but to be a human is to have a body and a soul. And so this idea of proper burial, of dignity for the bodies even after death, kind of is this insistence that. Our bodies matter, and that in the afterlife, our bodies matter. Not because the body we bury is going to rise like a zombie, and that will be the body. We're you not Egyptians. It. We're not Egyptians. We, we're not. We're not preserving Ancient them as Egyptians. best as we can to make sure yeah. that this body will still be a thing. And no, we cremate. Um, but the dignity, that belief, and the reverence does signify that the body, our bodies matter. And that what we do with them matters. Um, Jesus has not come to save our souls and allow us to escape our bodies, but he's come to save our, as we say in the Eucharistic prayer, our whole self, our soul and our body. We have to be careful about that. I just, and just to illustrate that, not on purpose, my leg was under this, the chair and I, I needed to stretch it. As soon as I did, it popped. Yeah. And my, my finger is, this, this finger is perpetually swollen because of arthritis that is get in. So to run it down a little bit. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm only 44, yet. Got some aches and pains. Yeah. There, there is some age on the, on the machine here. And the older we get, the more we start to resent our body. Right. We start to um, try to. To, to reverse, reverse engineer yeah. our body and yeah. to make it younger and, and all of that. Now, some of those things I'm in complete support of, you know, medicines to, mm-hmm. to heal us. I mean, that's that's one thing. But but to change our body into something that it's not or really to, to begin to resent our body mm-hmm. is, is, is um, uh, sinful. It is, yeah. Because this is a gift that's been given to mm-hmm. us and... Yes, I don't enjoy the aches and pains, mm-hmm. but I am I am who I am, mm-hmm. and I am who I am through my body. And w- what I like to say in funerals to people is, you don't resent the body. We can we can be we can be grateful that pain is gone, mm-hmm. and that that the the body that was worn down will be resurrected into a new body, mm-hmm. spiritual body, uh, but a body. Um, but I can only know you. Because through your body. Yeah, exactly. I know what your voice sounds like. I know how you laugh. I, I know how you play softball, all of that. Um, and so to say that's not you 
is an inaccurate statement. Is, I yeah. don't. I cannot know you apart from your body. Mm-hmm. I can't know your essence apart from that. Likewise, you don't know anybody else apart from your body. That's right. So that's why it's important to give, to give reverence. I mean, there, there are all kinds of things that we could list. I mean, one is respect for the mystery of death. Mm-hmm. And, and that we all are connected in our mortality. Mm-hmm. And we would definitely want people to, to respect the fact that we have lived and now mm-hmm. we have died. It's, it's not that, I mean, and how we treat the bodies says more about us than it says about the person who has died. Right. right. Um, it's just dignity in doing that. And, you know, as we'll get into in a moment, if we cannot show dignity to those when they have died, we will be unable to show dignity to those when they are alive. Correct. And we have to, we have to do both. And I think you can look at a culture and see something about them based on on how they treat mm-hmm. the dead. Um, um, so so yeah, it's important. So moves us into uh, our our society, the society of Joseph of Arimathea. Um, you know more of the facts than I do. When was that? When did that start officially? It started officially on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, December 8th, 2016. I've told the story many times. I'll be very brief. But the real genesis began in October of 2016, where two things happened basically on the same day. Um, One was I had talked to, uh, and they're very public about this, uh, Brandy Grubb and Father Mm -hmm. Eric Grubb, when they were in seminary, had been trying to, to, to have a baby you know, probably ever since they got married and, and just one miscarriage after another. Mm-hmm. And she she called um, in October excited. She was pregnant again and was hopeful. And then, you know, a few weeks later, mm-hmm. called to tell me that she had lost the child. And and she told me that, that you know, she she received the body from, from the doctor, hospital, wherever it was, and tried to find a place to do a burial and had a difficult time doing mm-hmm. that and, and having to, to sort of, and there were students and to shop around and find the most inexpensive procedure. Yeah. I thought, gosh, talk about the indignity of having to right. call and say, what do you charge for this procedure? Mm-hmm. I've lost a child. It was awful. And to have people say, we don't, we, we don't do this. Sorry. Yeah. It was, it was awful. And then, and didn't have no, no place to, to bury. And I thought, gosh, we've got to, address this. We've yeah. got to do something. And, and and the reality is, especially men are unaware mm-hmm. of the frequency of this. Right. You know, their wives may not tell them they've miscarried. They may not know they've miscarried. But even if they do, the response has been that I have heard is, uh, that stinks. But you can have another. Yep. Or try again. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, as if it were like buying the lottery yeah. ticket. Yeah, and shoot, I didn't win this one, but buy, buy, buy a ticket next week. And 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 I think that these mothers, I'm guessing, I, I'm, I can't have their experience. I'm assuming that they probably would just weather that and grieve uh, privately. Yeah. Um, and you're saying this partially because of what? Women have told us. So, yes, as part absolutely. Of this, as part of but, this ministry, but and I think, but but we can only know what they tell us. Yeah. I'm sure there's yeah. a, a deeper experience. That we, obviously, we can never know. So that happened, and, and there was a, a wonderful story about the church, a church in Atlanta called Church of the Holy Innocents, and a priest, Joshua Case, who's now serving in this diocese in North Carolina, where there was they were doing um, burials for children. I think it was children who. Died by the hand, at the hands of violence in the in the um, Fulton County Municipal Cemetery, but they were doing the actual services. Mm-hmm. And I thought, gosh, that was a that was a powerful ministry. And is that a need? I mean, do we have do we do we do we have children who need you know funerals? I just didn't know. So I had on one hand this this awareness of the frequency of the loss of pregnancy, mm-hmm. and the other on the other hand of of burial and the need for burial of 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 children in poverty or die, whatever. So I had this this really um, profound awareness of my own ignorance to the need in our own community. So that was October. A few emails and phone calls and and meetings with hospital, um, you know, uh, employees to ask questions. Is this a need? Um, and and what I found out 
was the answer was we think but we don't know how much mm -hmm. because these kinds of conversations weren't had records weren't really kept and so there was a lot we didn't know we didn't know what we didn't know mm -hmm. but but basically in december 8th i had a meeting at, at one of the hospitals and said i tell you what if there are children who die and no one wants them i will claim them mm -hmm. and we will and i'll cremate them and bury them or do whatever just sort of made a promise without knowing what to do all right that's 2016 2017 um i i have to go back and look i think maybe we i paid for i you know the, the and members of the parish generously gave money to this idea and i worked with one of the funeral homes we worked the most with and they agreed to to uh, work with me on on cremation mm -hmm. for for infants I think I think I paid we paid for five cremations in 2017 and then the more we started having conversations with social workers and hospital officials and chaplains and so on and so forth maybe 2018 it was you know 15 or 20 I don't remember but um so that was 2017 2018 we've done 130 this year mm -hmm. you know the first 7 months of 2023 120 130 so the the so five hundred and eighty five total, we cared for cared for and hang on I've got the numbers here I just sent them out yesterday four hundred is it four hundred and thirty something, uh four excuse me four hundred and seventy three are actually buried in our cemetery, mm -hmm. so it just expanded to learning what the need was and responding to the need. So right now, what we, and, and for, honestly, the ministry never really focused exclusively on the burial of infants. Mm -hmm. That just was the pressing need mm -hmm. that we just organically focused on. So what we, what we do now is, if someone loses a child, regardless of gestational age, and they cannot afford the cost of cremation, and that is discerned by hospital officials, mm -hmm. chaplains, social workers, or even the funeral home, um, then we will cover the cost of cremation through um, through our our uh, partner, Hayworth Miller. And then the mom, if, um, if she obviously wants, can can bury mm -hmm. the child however she wants or keep the, keep the ashes. That's category number one. Category number two, which has been the more recent one, is working with the hospitals. If a mother loses a child through miscarriage, um, the 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 means for what happens with the, the the technical hospital term. It's not the one I use, but to be fair, it's called products of conception, right. POC. So the 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 options for for the POCs, the baby, are hospital disposition, mm -hmm. which typically means incineration along with other medical waste, right? In mass together, yeah. so they get lumped together with. Other yeah. tissues. Yep. And yep. Um, or the mother could choose to to collect the baby. Most of them, as we heard with Brandy, don't do that because there's not enough. What are they do there's with not it? really enough for cremation, mm -hmm. and 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 the expense, and where are you going to bury? So what we do now is, if the mother chooses, the society will collect the the baby from pathology and then bury directly in our cemetery. That's category um, number two. The other one um, would be babies that are born. And and people don't believe this happens. But you and I both know it does. It does. They just don't want the baby. Mm -hmm. They don't want the body. Meaning a baby who was born and died. Born yeah. and died. Either, either a baby that was full term and was still born. Um, and, and there's, you know, complicated legalities with this. Or a live birth and mm -hmm. died. And they they just they don't want right. they don't want the baby and, and, and the hospital. And it's really not our job to speculate why. No, we, we don't. But, we but can't. And, and what, from what we've heard, you know, it could be it could be pain. It could be that they just can't deal with it. It could be that they have all sorts of other issues going on, and they're like, I, I don't know. Just we don't know don't, why. Don't we don't it. know why, we, and there's no way we can go right. there. The short answer is we don't know. We, we just, just take care of the baby. Yeah, the hospital says this baby is the the phrase they use is unclaimed. Unclaimed, and, and no one no one is speaking for it. And right so now. the hospital has a has a legal responsibility to dispose of the baby, mm -hmm. and and that's and frankly, we we want our hospitals to focus on other things, right? To use their resources, and yeah, and they're not they're not they're not the church, not the church, not the funeral home, and so they call us, and then mm -hmm. we 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 cremate 
the baby and then and then and bury it here. And then there's a, a fourth category that's the most unknown to us. Um, these could be miscarriages. These could be terminations. These could be terminations because of the baby has no brain. Mm-hmm. These could be terminations for reasons that um, that I the um, and we see them, you know, Down syndrome, right? You know, and you know, I'm 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 very pro life. I don't think Down syndrome is a life threatening. Well, it's, no, it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not life threatening. I'm not saying I don't think it's not life threatening. Um, however. Um, our role is to give witness to those lives by giving them a proper burial. Mm-hmm. And we're not, you know, again, we, we focus on the burial and not and we're on the, the end other. of this line. We're at the end of the line. So those are the four categories that we have. And, and they're probably categories five, six, and seven. I haven't even experienced yet mm-hmm. or don't know of mm-hmm. that. We will, we will adapt um, to do that. So it's been, and it continues to grow and develop and, and our own efforts now, have evolved into dealing with the parents, mm-hmm. uh, primarily the ones who lose children through miscarriage, by inviting them to the to the burial. We mm-hmm. did one Sunday. Uh, today's Wednesday. Thirty seven children, and we had three three sets of parents mm-hmm. come, and every time we do that, they are moved by the experience. I think I think they're moved, and you know I don't talk to them afterwards because. I'm trying to give them space, yeah. you know, and and don't want to make them a spectacle and let them grieve in their own way. But they, I imagine they're moved by the burial itself, mm-hmm. you know, sad, but also it's a beautiful, dignified burial. But what I really love is the fact that at every burial, there's about 40 people mm-hmm. from the parish mm-hmm. who stay and give witness to these children they would never know the parents. They would never know anything about them. But they recognize that this was a life that ended too soon, and 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 everyone there I know has some experience, either yeah. personally or in their family, with someone who's lost a child. So there's this collective witness to a life and and the pain that is there, but undergirding all of that is this collective proclamation of hope mm-hmm. that um, even these lives that may have lived, um, you know, so very, very short, you know, weeks, days, you know, heartbeats only beating for a short amount of time are still redeemed by the love of Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. And we, we entrust them into a resurrection that is greater than we can imagine. And that's, a, that's an extraordinary proclamation that in the midst of death, there is life. And I think that gives hope to the parents, to the parish, to the hospital um, workers, to the nurses who are there doing the care, to the to the families and the baby who dies. And it's it's a really really powerful ministry. Um, and yes, I mean, listen, um, it, it's a witness that that human life is sacred, mm-hmm. and we we give we give witness to that without being distracted by policy. Mm-hmm without being distracted by the other things that people tend to tune out. Right. And and I, I'm hopeful that this ministry enables us to begin a conversation that is not already, um, uh, what's the word, I don't know, colored by uh, you know, some political agenda either way, because we're unable to have a conversation. And right. what, I, what I have found is, is, that, is that most people, most people are inherently... Um, believe that life is sacred, mm-hmm. but they don't know what to do about difficult situations right. and difficult choices. Uh, and, 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 and let's be clear, there's some really, really difficult mm-hmm. situations and choices. Where the church has failed is in our inability, um, ignorance of theological resources to address those difficult choices. Right. And our inability or unwillingness to to do real work mm-hmm. to give aid in those difficult choices, mm-hmm. uh, whereas women feel like, and uh, let's recognize again, you and I have talked before. We're two men yep. talking about this. We recognize our limitation in that. That is that is understood. They feel like they have no other no, choice. Yeah. Yeah. That's our fault. Yep. 
And um, so that's why this is, I mean, that we're giving with, I mean, you can't bury a child that has, that is 10 weeks gestation and say that's nothing. Otherwise, what are you burying? Mm -hmm. So, so we do that. Um, but yeah, we're not, we're not, I think, I think what's been, uh, I know there are people of all different political persuasions who might vote on this issue differently, who support this, mm -hmm. because we're trying to cut through all of the, the political language and all the volatility that comes with that and really get to the heart of the matter. Mm -hmm. And that enables us to have a deeper, more fruitful conversation, mm -hmm. at least in my experience. Yeah, and I think when you, when you really get down to it, it goes back to Joseph of Arimathea. There's a need, we have means, and so we do, we do what's necessary. Um, Joseph recognized there's a need, he needs a proper burial. I have the means for that, so I'm going to I'm going yep. to do what I can. And you know, I think about that each time um, me and some of the men, and sometimes um, one of the youth uh, who comes out and and actually dig, digs the grave is you know, this is a small a small relatively piece of land that we have 470 children Three, yeah, in so yeah. far. Um, you know, if, if you don't know what it looks like, you can, you can go to the society website. I'll put that in the description. It's but, smaller than most everyone's backyard. Right. I it's mean, a, it's yes. a small piece of land, yeah. but, but we've intentionally set it apart. We, we had this piece of land. We had people willing to dig the grave. We had people willing to start the conversations with the hospital. And then there was a need. And, and I'm always struck by this need exists everywhere. And there are so many small plots of land like what we have, um, where people have the means. And Joseph Arimathea is just such a good encouragement of the needs there, you have the means, do what needs to be done. Um, and like you said, there's, there's, a, there's an opportunity there when you kind of cut through all of the um, arguments back and forth to just go directly to the need and say, this child needs to be buried, this child needs to be dignified, and we have the, the means to do it and we're gonna do it. And that does speak to people um, who might disagree verbally with each other, but they can stand there and, and pray the prayers through the funeral service and, and recognize that we're doing something dignified here. There is a life that needs to be um, put into the ground here, and those prayers become impactful for many of them. Yeah, and what's what's done for me is, so I'm starting a new degree program um, in the fall, and I think one of the areas I really want to go into is a place where I am lacking. I mentioned that we are uh, unprepared to talk about um, the church's resources, I mean, theologically, mm -hmm. on these difficult questions. Right. So all we see are these very, very difficult, hard cases and we make those the rule, which mm -hmm. is usually bad policy yep. always. What is it? Hard cases make for bad law. Mm -hmm. um, I need to find out more about the theological resources mm -hmm. of questions of life, beginning, end. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you want to Google something, the principle of double effect. Mm -hmm. I mean, I hear... And, and, and we, we're not, this is not a political pod, a partisan political podcast at all, and we have no intention of making it. But, you know, you hear on, in the political debate, this is the hottest issue in the nation, mm -hmm. probably right now, the question of life, either beginning or end. We haven't, we're focusing right. on the beginning part right. now, but the end of Other life countries are due, is, the is end there right, right now. now. Absolutely. Euthanasia is coming mm -hmm. uh, fast. And, and uh, at any rate, um, I hear... The politicalization, is that the word right? I can't even speak, uh -huh, whatever. Yeah. We know what of, you mean. Of the hard cases being politicized, there we go. But no real theological um, you know, grappling, with, grappling it, yeah. with it. And and I think that we we can go deeper. And, and I think that that will bring a lot of peace and hope to people if we can address mm -hmm. how do we handle this. Mm -hmm. Meaning, what I mean by that is, what do you do if someone's, if a mother's life's in danger? Yeah. You know, I mean, the church has thought this through. They have, yeah. yeah they're and, they're and not ignorant of these hard correct, cases. Correct, correct. But we've done a bad job of maybe explaining We've them. done a very bad job. Yeah. Because, as as because, a American, and, you know. And here's what I mean by a bad job. Let me be specific. How many, how many classes of moral theology did you take in seminary? Uh, moral theology, probably zero. Probably zero. A couple of them touched on moral issues, but they were not a broad scope of of presenting. Moral Here theology. is the church's maybe moral theology. Uh, I'm talking like courses. Yeah, maybe maybe one. Maybe one. I had none. I had I had I had, I had, a, I had a 
I had ethics, ethics and something else. Course. I had ethics, it, but and it touched on moral theology in general, but not not. Yeah, I I am I am woefully unprepared. I mean, I had a class on ethics, and and you know, I, I remember very little about it because it was it, it wasn't great. We got into principal double effect things like that, and the, I mean, so we at least touched. Not on me, it, not me. So there's a, there's a big big gap there that I, yeah. I want to I want to fill. Yeah, and, and the good news is. You can you can recognize these deficiencies. You can address them by by doing it, and we're still not going to stop burying the lives no, that need not. to be buried. No, no. I mean, you you can you can do both at the same time. So, well, and I would just want to say finally, is that burial of the dead is a work of mercy, mm-hmm. and one of the seven corporal works of yeah, mercy. Yeah, and and by corporal, it's a bodily work yeah, of mercy. Yeah, yeah. We, it's, it's what we do. It's an act, and I've never ever turned down a funeral. Mm-hmm. Unless I am out of town or I, yeah. I physically, physically literally can't be yeah. there. But I have had funeral homes call and say, I've called these churches, whatever, and I'm, I'm going to throw them under the bus. And they were you know, unwilling to do mm-hmm. a funeral. Can you do it? Yes. I've never turned down. A fu- I've turned down weddings. Mm-hmm. Never turned down a funeral because the person's dead. Mm-hmm. And we need to give witness to uh, that, life. that life. And to pray for them. Whether they were faithful or not, it is our duty to yep. to proclaim Christian hope in the life of death, yep. and to and to bury the dead, and um, and I think that um, what is happening in, in American culture is a great denial of death, mm-hmm. denial of mortality, which is why this is a this is a, a record on repeat again for Saint Timotheans. You've heard me um, kick my spurs in the side of the pulpit, arguing against how. There is a default celebration of life mm-hmm. in the obituaries yep. and never the burial of the dead. Right. I mean, and take it to the extreme. You've got the super, super rich literally using their money to figure out how do we reverse aging. Correct. Um, I mean, we are obsessed with don't let us look old. Don't let us look like we're decaying. Ignore it. Ignore it. Push it further and further away. I want to live a long, happy, fruitful, active life, mm-hmm. but I am going to die. Yep. And... And and again to go back to Saint Ignatius of Loyola, whose feast was on Monday, his his most challenging line to me is when he says his prayer was, "I prefer neither a short life to a long life. Yeah, I prefer neither um, sickness to health. To health, yeah. That's not where I am." Because he said, "Everything is an opportunity to draw closer to God." Yes, so and he, what he was saying is, if, sick or healthy, if you have a preference. You cannot be open to God's will. Yeah, you cannot be open to discernment. Hard. It's hard. And no, I mean, I he's that's why he's a saint, yeah. and, I'm, and I'm sitting here because I want a long life yeah. and I want health. <clears throat> I'm not ambivalent to that. Um, in my better days, I am more open to not being ambivalent. But no, I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty hard on the side of long life and health. Help me to want to right want. Now. Yeah, help me to want to want. Um, so yeah, um, there we are. Good. Well, let's close in prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen.